So if you have your Bible, if you would, please take your Bible real quick. And uh, we're going to say our, our Bible decree. If you have your iPhone and you got your, your Bible app on there, too, that's fine. If you have your iPod, that's fine, too. iPad, I whatever. And uh, but I'm just thankful to have the word of God that we can use it and, and to, be, to be able to hide his words in our hearts. So let's say this together. This is my Bible. God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hallelujah. Do you know after today there are only 23 more shopping days left until Christmas? Some people panic when they hear this, but for me it means that I still have three weeks before I have to begin my shopping with a vacation in there. Doesn't seem like a lot of stores start their sales earlier and earlier and earlier every year and each year. Instead of waiting until Thanksgiving to kick off Christmas, now we're hearing Hark the Herald Angels Sing right after Halloween. <laughs> if this keeps up, Labor Day will launch the crush of the Christmas crush. How many of you went shopping on Black Friday that's in this room? Y'all went shopping on? Yeah. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Woo! Retailers love this day because it helps them get in the black financially. That's why it's called Black Friday. So that you spend all that hard-earned money that you've been saving up for all year long. Against our culture's call to consume the clutter of Christmas stands a simple yet profound season of Advent. The word Advent actually means coming and refers to the coronation of a king. Traditionally, it's a time for prayer, repentance, and preparation to help journey, help believers slow down enough to savor the Savior's birth. And I see Advent as a spiritual journey that helps us focus on the greatest gift of all so that we can worship the Word made flesh with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Special music, readings, candles, sermons will help us reflect on the joys. As we experience the ancient future dimension of this time of the year, it strikes me that one can never start too early when getting ready for something really big. How many of you prepared for weeks just for Thanksgiving with your family? Hours? Days? No, there were weeks because if I have to just go ahead and confess what all you've been doing from kitchens to counters to floors to all the fun and excitement, that all comes. And then you know what's great? We prepare for two days, three days before that. We talk to people on the phone. Who's going to bring what? What they're going to do. And it's exciting, but we're all very, very busy about the season. And there's nothing greater than for me to sit and I was scrolling through Facebook. And I got to see everybody that, you know, how nice the Thanksgiving table was set up. And who burnt their turkeys. And who overcooked them. And who didn't eat this and didn't like their ham. And all that kind of good stuff. I mean, it's always so much fun. My brother said... I'm going to fry a turkey, and when he put that picture on Facebook, I have to say it wasn't hysterical because I thought, ooh, <laughs> well, no wonder this is the first bird you ever fried because I sure wouldn't eat it. And he's like, but the the under part of it, you know, the white meat was really good, and, and uh, so that was great. I'm sorry that everything else turned out burnt to a crisp, but uh, he, he did well. Well, you'll notice this Advent season is that we have a wreath with four candles. It's said by some to represent the four centuries of waiting between Malachi and Matthew. We'll light a different candle each week, 
shining the light on the themes of hope, peace, joy, and of love. Three different readings by different centuries of the church. Using rich reminders from scriptures, our aim is to keep the Christ of Christmas, Christmas present in the midst of all the presents as we focus on his first coming to this world. Why? Because we want his beauty to shine in the busyness of our lives. And that can only happen when we worship him. Because we're so busy, because we're so active, and because there's such a demand on our season that we have to stop and understand the reason for the season is Jesus. The reason for the season is hope, peace, love, and joy. And I've already been challenged within my spirit that, you know, people become self-centered and they're in a hurry and they rush past me and they slam the door on me and they don't say thank you and they're in a hurry to go nowhere. You know what I always find really interesting is when we go shopping that these people that go rushing by you, like seriously, they go past you like 22 miles an hour on foot and I'm doing my slow tortoise move and I get up to them because they thought they were going somewhere. When they got there, they couldn't get in the line. And so by the time I stopped, they're still standing in that same line that my toupee went flying and they left me in the dust. That's so sad. But I want us to stop and, and reflect on this season of Advent. It is a season of hope. And today I'm going to be talking about the joy of his calling. And for many of you, you know, I'm a very evangelistic type of pastor. And, and I don't say that I'm a teacher. That is not my gifting. Even though that I teach, yes, I love the fun and excitement that comes with every message. Kind of like last week when you prepare to say something and it comes out another way. Yeah, that I'll never let. That was awful. And I almost said something a few minutes ago. But see, this pastor thought before he spoke. So his brain was behind the tongue just a few minutes ago. And you guys would never know this because I'm not going to tell you. But if I did, you would have probably fell on the floor laughing. But however... That's what you've got to do. But because we're so busy, we come into church and we're busy about let's open up the word. Let's be challenged by the word and let's get out the door. So can I ask you a question? Is it okay if we kind of take a little time to understand what Isaiah had to say? And and I'll get it done in a timely manner. But can I just kind of teach you something this morning instead of being so quick and challenging and out the door we go is that okay? All right. I guess it's not okay. Let me take a drink and try that again. Now you're really making me nervous. Just kidding. All right. If you would, please take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Allow me to make just a few points that will serve as an introduction to this book. Isaiah has been called the fifth gospel because it is filled with so much good news. Really, we could probably take every passage, every verse, every word, every verb, every noun, every adjective, and I could just take one word and preach on it for weeks. I love Isaiah. While the book is brimming with glory and good news, it also contains some gloom as well. And this is summed up in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2, where he says, See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. You see, Isaiah was written about 700 
years before the time of Christ, a fact that should cause us to wonder and worship as we contemplate how specifically these prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah would say that one can never start too early when getting ready for something really big. This book contains some of the most beautiful language ever written and was quoted by Jesus extensively. Since Isaiah was one of his favorite books, then we should consider what it has to say as well. Isaiah is called a major, and I say that in quotes, a major prophet for two reasons. First, his book is one of the longest, and second, his message is very meaty. There's substance to what the prophet Isaiah has to say. Some have pointed out that 66 chapters in Isaiah serve as a miniature Bible. Since there are 66 books in the Bible, the first 39 chapters correspond to the law of the Old Testament, while the next 27 correspond to the liberty taught in the New Testament. Interesting, isn't it? While there are many themes to this wonderful book, I want to mention just three. Here are the three themes of Isaiah. One, God is in control. Two, the Messiah is coming. And then three, God always has a remnant that stays committed to him. Isaiah, his name actually means Jehovah saves. And he ministered for more than 50 years during the reign of four different kings. He was impacted when the northern kingdom of ten tribes, referred to as Israel, was destroyed and its inhabitants were led into captivity. Ministering in the south land of Judah during the time of cultural corruption. Kind of sounds like our country today. Where we're at today. Part of his mission was to warn the people that the same thing would happen to them unless they did what? Unless they repented. His opening words begin with a complaint in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. He says, O sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt. And yet he continued to offer words of hope throughout the book. Isaiah is bold about his longing for something more. He dared to believe that something better was coming, even though his cultural his culture was corrupt and everything around him seemed to be so bad. And we can summarize this morning Isaiah's audaciousness by looking at what he said in chapter 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. See here, he's longing for the Lord to somehow come down into his world to make sense out of all this. To bring peace to all the problems, to dispel the darkness and to extricate evil. Isaiah is hungry to have the Holy One enter our washed out world and extricate us from it. So church, brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that the Lord has come down? Aren't you glad that the Lord has come down? And that we get to see him. I don't have to talk about something that's coming, but oh church, I will tell you, there is the second coming of Christ. Prepare your hearts, prepare your, your minds, prepare your families. It says that in the twinkling of an eye, he will rapture his church. 
We will not know the second nor the hour when the Son of Man shall come in the clouds. The Lord is coming back. His return is evident. And we do live in a world that is just so corrupt and so confused. In a world that if, if you can put up a sleigh on a circle and get rid of the nativity, what is it? Who are we? No wonder churches are suffering. Because if our culture is saying it's okay to, to, to go ahead and legalize so many things and to accept what is not normal as normal, what is the church going to look like? Oh, what are my girls going to see in 20 years? Some of the great preachers of all times. Could you imagine what D.L. Moody, you know, he was preaching that Jesus was coming back. This isn't in my message, but I am going down that rabbit hole. Thanks, man. And, and I am chasing that rabbit. But I will tell you this, that I do believe that the Lord is coming back. I don't know when and I don't know where, but I know he says he'll be coming in the eastern clouds. So when he does come, I'll be ready. And I want our church to be ready, and each of us should be ready. So let's just open up with a word of prayer. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this text. We thank you for your word. Lord, teach us this morning. Speak through me this morning. Hide me behind the cross. Help me to be able to, to speak what you want said, not what I need to say. God, put my flesh aside. Let the Holy Spirit just be real and in charge. Thank you for this great Advent season. We thank you for it. And may it bring a beautiful Advent season. Amen. So this morning, we're going to let our fingers do the walking as we look at several different passages. Now, I could do a few things. I could look at chapter 7. We could look at chapter 9. I could go through 11 and end up in 53. We could read all the chapters, but for sake of time and because I do not want to bore you to death, I will leave that up to you. Many of you have actually read um, some of these chapters, but I want you to understand that the prophet is actually, he's declaring that the Messiah will be coming. Interesting, isn't it? You remember that Old, Old Testament is prophecy concealed, New Testament is prophecy revealed. So what is happening in the Old Testament is he's speaking it, and then we see evidence of it in the New Testament. So I'm hoping that by doing this, we'll get a composite picture of what Christmas is all about in the mind of Isaiah, because one can never start too early in getting ready for something so great. And that's Christmas. Point number one. Isaiah chapter 7, I want the point to be a sure sign. When we come to chapter 7, an evil king named Ahaz is on the throne. And he had deliberately disobeyed God. And as a result, his kingdom came under attack from all areas, from every corner, from every quarter. Look at verse 2, the latter part of verse 2 here, I want to bring attention to. It says, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Friend, if you don't know God when trouble comes, you too will be shaken to the very core of your being. Instead of turning to the Lord, Ahaz begins, Ahaz begins to think about partnering with the evil empire of Assyria. At this crucial time, God in his great love and mercy toward the house of David took the initiative and sent Isaiah the prophet to help King Ahaz. You'll notice Isaiah points out in verse 9 in the latter part, we'll read that again together, that if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is really a pun in Hebrew that can be translated like this. If there is no belief, you will find no relief. 
If there is no belief, you will find no relief. In verse 10 we read, we read that he was supposed to ask for a sign that would help him believe. In verse 12 we see that Ahaz refused to ask for a sign. This lights Isaiah up in verse 13. Follow with me now. Hear now, you O house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? And we come to this remarkable prophetic passage in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him who? Emmanuel. So let's just notice a few things. The Lord himself will give a sign. And you see, that's similar to what Abraham had to say in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. He said, God himself will provide the lamb, did he? Yes, we learned a few weeks ago that he allowed the great sacrifice to take place. Number two, the sign was given to all of us. It's actually small a, reading in Judah. The word you in the passage is plural. I like what it says here. Here now, you house of David. See, indicating that it was not just assigned to Ahaz, but to everyone as the angel made clear in Luke 2.10. He said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Verse 13 mentions that this sign is specifically given to the what? House of David. Also, the sign will be a son born to a virgin. This sign will be a sign of a son born to a virgin. In the Hebrew, there is a grammatical interjection that should read, Behold, the virgin will be with child. It is used to, a, to arrest attention to indicate the importance of what is about to be said. This is no ordinary pregnancy, and this is no ordinary birth. A virgin will be with child and will bear, give birth to a son. This would certainly stand out as a miraculous sign. And the last Isaiah was trying to say here, the son would be God incarnate. And what does he say there? He said, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Church, Emmanuel means that God is with us. God with us. While this was not Jesus' proper name, it was a name that belonged to him as an, attic, as an attribute. This is who he is. From the point of this miraculous birth on, God would himself be present among his people. And in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, I told you I've got a ton of scripture today. And I, and I refused last night. I, it kind of wrestled within my spirit because I wanted to speak on hope. Man, we could just have an awesome message on hope. But I wanted to talk... The Lord is coming back. Do I hear an amen up in there? What in the world? Woo! You ought to be the one with the mic. I watched you jump. I jumped, and I thought I was going to fall on the floor. Somebody just came through the back door, but I know our trustees are there watching. I'm like, glory, let me sit down after this one. <laughs> wow. So. Back to scripture, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Listen closely. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. 
And they will call on the name of the Lord. Which means God saves. Did they have to understand all this? I don't believe they had understood any of this. Was it fulfilled during his lifetime? No, it was a prophecy focusing on the future, given to all people so that God could be with all people for all time to be a sure sign. I think we have a word from the Lord today. I'm walking away from this stand up here. Church, I'm going to say something very Maybe sometimes you don't see a stable foundation. But I want you to remember that the same God that sent his son is with us and is for us and is in us. And the journey that I've been on in the last 14 years in ministry has been things that God has spoke to me. And I remember when I was in my closet and I was praying and I remember God said, Todd, I have a sign for you. And I remember in that closet and, and he keeps reminding me of this because I had a vision. I used to tell my wife, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great to have like a church campus? Wouldn't it be cool to have, you know, property that we could do stuff on? Well, many of you don't know this, but when we opened up this building, we fulfilled a prophetic message that God had. Here's what he said. I will give New Hope an answer. And that's what I heard. And so what you don't know is that I went through some grief and through some mourning. I thought, what is happening over here in North Hill? What is happening to some of my church? What is happening to my people? What is happening? I was looking around, and it's like the Lord just spoke to me right here. And he, you know what he just said? See, Todd, I told you there'd be a sure sign. I told you. So he gave us 10 acres. And many of you don't know this, but I stood and I looked out the windows all by myself in the sanctuary as I watched little people run all over this property. And I watched strangers come. And I watched people of all different cultures come together. And in the pain and suffering of our world, and in all of the trials and tribulations and all of the hardships, most of you brought gifts and things to pass out to all those little people on Easter. Over 1,000 people journeyed in a building that God said, I will give to New Hope. And so I stand up here in awe with humility. I may not see all that God has for me as this pastor, but he provided a building that we were able to get taken care of in just a few weeks by the hands of all of you, that God provided a property that we can do things on, that God provided new faces, and I love your faces. I'll just say, I just love your face. Because now we get the opportunity to be able to open up the word of God and understand truly what this season is about. And I hope that when you come to New Hope, that you can come with a sense of peace. That you can leave saying, you know what, I felt a sense of hope today when I felt a little bit empty when I walked in. Man, it was hard for me to get up. It was just massively empty. And when I got up, I turned on our lights and give way to my house. I have everything out the window. So I walk over to my chair and I go click, 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 click. And everything lights up in the house. But I have all this ambience lighting, and so I went and grabbed my message, and I sat down in my chair. I was just sitting there, and as I was reading, I thought, you know, God, 
how, how do you really talk about, you know, a friend who was born the same as Sidney David, a stranger with Christ the Lord, but he is God with us, but he's Emmanuel. And it's like God is, God is really just showing me this morning, church, they had to fight. They had to fight. And even King Ahaz, in the midst of all of the, the nonsense that was going on in the busyness and hustle bustle of life, they didn't see what was going on. And we would never know what was going on. But it was told years and years and years and years later. I stood out underneath this carport here just last month, and I looked at the building, and I said, you know, Lord, thank you for this building. Thank you for the sign that you're still with us and you're still journeying with us for 14 years. Someday they'll never know who Todd was. Someday there will never, maybe there will be a plaque of Todd and Becky and his four daughters and their 14 years. I don't know. Maybe you'll have nothing in this building. And it'll be another church. But it doesn't matter what I do. I said, oh, but God, it, amount, it matters what you do. And if they remember Jesus Christ, who came wrapped in a swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, that matters. Our community needs to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. The Evangelical Congregational Church, there was a time when there was life and love and, and peace that was here. I didn't know this building was here. But when God closed the door, he opened up another door for a congregation to come in and give hope and to have relationships with wonderful people that we get to experience every week. So I look for your Kia to pull into the handicapped spot to serve out to the Lord every single week. And I thank you that that day I was fingers in the dirt out there that you stopped by because that's a sure sign. So point number two is a sure sign. A sure sign that God would send a sign. So number one, I'm sorry, sure so number one was a sure sign. Number two was a sent sign. In Isaiah 9, let's quickly set this text in context. The original birth announcement was made in the midst of grief and gloom and hardship. Look at verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. There will be no more suffering, no more gloom, no more hardship for those that were in distress. In the past, he humbleth the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the river Jordan. Zebulon and Naphtali are tribes from the north of Israel making up the land of Galilee. For many years, the people in this region knew only grief because of the onslaught of enemies unleashed by the Almighty as a result of their sin. Because they lived closest to the bad guys, they were the first ones attacked. Now watch this. Here's what Isaiah tells. He tells of a time in the future where gloom will be replaced with gladness in Galilee. Sometimes it's hard for me to spit out. It's like a tongue twister. Gladness in Galilee. Don't miss the fact that the ministry of Jesus was grounded in where? Galilee. Listen closely, church. Christmas was and is birthed in the midst of great grief. While the angels were proclaiming peace on earth, Herod was preparing to annihilate infants. While Mary was worshiping, other mothers were weeping for their children. 
Do you ever want to look that up? It's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18. See, Christmas joy is best understood with the junk of life all around us because gladness comes when we're grieving. Is that where you're at today? And that's okay if you are because that's exactly where Emmanuel will meet you. In the place of your grief and in the place of your joy. Verse 2 describes how the birth of Christ will bring brightness to a dark world. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, light was dawned. I'm always anticipating Christmas Eve. I love Christmas Eve service. We always light candles. It's just such a beautiful feeling in the building. Why do we do that? We do that to show the impact that Christ has made on a dark world and in a suffering world. So referring to himself in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Isaiah 9, 4, we read, we read that the enemies of Israel had burdened the people with bars across their shoulders, a yoke. When the light of life comes, the heavy yoke will be shattered. Instead of wiping us out, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and what? My burden is light. In the place of burden, God wants to give us light. In the place of your burden, God wants to give you grace. Notice in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You see, the phrase there, to us, means for us, for our benefit. And the emphasis is on the child. The baby was given for our benefit. This verse sets forth the indescribable uniqueness of Jesus. Notice that both his humanity and the deity is described. We see attributes of God and characteristics of man. Watch this. For to us a child is born. This describes his birth as a baby. To us a son is given. Jesus is God's son given as a gift to us. The child was birthed in Bethlehem. And the gift of the eternal Son is given to us. On top of that, the government will be upon His shoulders. This means that all expectations of the throne of the King of David are fulfilled in Christ. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 and 16. The baby bundled in the straw holds the universe together. The one nestled on Mary's shoulder, shoulders bears everything on His shoulders. He is the Redeemer and He is the Ruler. Of all people. Part of the reason we have been inoculated by the incarnation and even bored with the baby is because we focus only on the infant Jesus. He is far more than that. And we see in his fourfold title the phrase, and he will be called, means he will justly bear this name. He is profound. He is the wonderful counselor. He is powerful. He is almighty God. He is personal. He is our everlasting father. And he is peaceful, for he is the prince 
of peace. It is amazing to me that Isaiah not only knew that Emmanuel would be born to a virgin as a sure sign, but he also understood that he would be sent to the only begotten king. We're reminded of what Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. He's a sure sign and a sent king. And third, he's a shoot from a stump. He's a shoot from a stump. In Isaiah chapter 11, if you turn over with me, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. In Isaiah's day, it felt hopeless because it seemed like the only thing left were stumps. Northern kingdom had been destroyed and things were looking bleak for the south. Do you ever feel like that? Have the stumps in your life harpooned your hope? Have you lost hope because you feel that there is no life? But wait, says there a shoot will come up from the stump. Jesse is the father of King David, and it's through his line that the Savior will come to the world. Listen to Luke chapter 2, verse 4 says this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Jesus is described in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The shoot will become a branch that will bear fruit from the root of David. Once again, Isaiah uses the plan words. The word branch in Hebrew means nezer. What's cool about this is that Jesus spent a lot of time where? In Nazareth. Notice also that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Amazing. How many of you felt like sometimes things are just dead? And God knows that when people start to lose hope, how many of you have ever felt like you've lost hope? Lost hope in Christ, lost hope in prayer, lost hope in just everything. And said, you know what? I just want to give up on walking in Christ. I'm losing all hope. Then all of a sudden, something appears and happens in your life, and then all of a sudden, poof. This just this little this little root starts to, to come up in your life, and all of a sudden you feel like there's life. And then all of a sudden, God starts to bring people in your path and into your life. And then there's hope. And there's plans for your future, and you start thinking, wow, God, you're still there with me. And he said, you know that. I'm Emmanuel. I'm Emmanuel. Always with you. I'm here for you. Isaiah was not only able to catch a vision of the Savior as a shoot, he can see a time when peace will prevail. Previewing, previewing the angel's proclamation of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, it says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests toward all men. He finishes this out in a series of amazing contrasts to show that during the second advent, Jesus will usher in a time of protracted peace. There's a lot here, but allow me to just quote Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, where we start to wind down. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. When Jesus comes again, he will come as the conquering king and the prince of peace. We tend to count the shopping days until Christmas. 
What we should be doing is counting the days until Christ comes again in glory and power so that we're ready for his return. Are you ready? Isaiah gives a short summary. He points to the Savior. He ties the Messiah to David's throne as the shoot from a stump. And finally, my last point, he is a suffering Savior. In Isaiah 53, it says he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering. You're familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus came at Christmas so that by suffering and ultimately sacrificing himself as our substitute, we could be saved from our sins. His purpose is stated from the very beginning of the nativity account, Matthew 1, 28. It says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their often wonder what Isaiah knew about Emmanuel. Ministering seven centuries before Christmas, how could he be so specific? How could he be so specific? Not understanding. Why? Because Jesus is a sure sign. Because he is the son of sin. And he is the shoot from a stump. He is the life that came said, out of the house of David. He came as the Prince of Peace when he could have come in and they could have set up the palace. But he came in as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. More importantly, he came as the suffering Savior. Isaiah wrote about the future, but his words seem to indicate that he saw the Savior with his own eyes. In John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. It says that he saw his glory and he spoke about him. Jesus came not only to be born in this world, but to be born in us. One can never start too early when getting ready for something really big. Are you ready right now to receive the Christ of Christmas? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The first candle says, listen. It's all about the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It's about the suffering Savior. Isaiah's promise about Christ gives us hope when they're fulfilled in us. They bring peace. But like a present, Jesus must be received. I love the words in Isaiah chapter 66 to 65, verses 1 and 2. He says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. I was found by those who did not seek me. All day long I have held out my hands to obstinate people. 
who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imagination. I don't know what took place yesterday. This one was two days ago. I was in trying on some pants and a shirt. I don't even know how this woman ended up. My wife was sitting in a chair waiting for me. Is that worse than a woman? Oh, just kidding. This woman walked by, and as I was listening through the door, she starts telling about her whole life, about being divorced and remarried and the suffering that she went through. As I was preparing for this message, I thought, wow. My wife had such great wisdom, and as I was behind those doors and trying on clothes, I stood back there, and I thought, I'm not walking out. I'm not going to say anything. I need this woman to express her heart, to express her emotions, to express her feelings. As I heard my wife give her advice and wisdom and counsel and encouraged her that it's okay, we understand that this season is difficult. She was giving words of hope and of wisdom. I thought, wow. My wife said these words, that there's hope in Jesus. And so as I was standing back there, I thought, wow, here is a person who does not even know my wife is a pastor's wife, but he positioned my wife in that chair for that woman to walk over and start talking to her. She was hit by these clothes. How did she ever know she was there? Because God had a sure time, and he had a sure message. And that was the time that she needed to speak to give hope somebody that felt during the holidays there was no hope in a time of grief and loss. And the scripture first came to me and I came out and I walked around and I said, ma'am, or as a part of the conversation, well, can I just get, share something with you? The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy is waiting right around the corner. Let the word of God speak and I'll share this last story with you. A woman was in the mall during her Christmas shopping and was stressed out trying to find a perfect present for everyone on her list. Knowing that her credit cards were almost maxed out, she couldn't wait for Christmas to be over. With arms full of gifts, she tried to get in a crowded elevator. As she squeezed in with the other weary shoppers, she exclaimed, whoever came up with Christmas ought to be strung up and killed. Several around her shook their heads in agreement. And somewhere from in the back of that elevator came a voice that spoke up and said, Don't worry. They already did that to her. Loved ones, my church family, let's not miss the meaning of Christmas. As a way to keep us from Falling into our cultural, our culture's consumerism trap, we're going to gather around as a family, as a church, to remember what Isaiah 64 says. Do not be angry beyond measure. Oh Lord, do not remember our sins forever. Then the Bible says, come let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Now that's something good worth getting ready for. My mom for years would open up the nativity story. My children and my nieces and nephews, we would sit around and she would read to us. Then they were gone for the last several years. Or maybe this Christmas season, you can give your message of hope and explain to your loved ones and to your family, listen, I give you the gift of Jesus who came and who died. And as we rise to our feet as a church and we prepare our hearts, I'm going to read Isaiah 53 to you. And then we're going to bow our heads and pray. And the altar call is going to be open for you this, this morning. But in Isaiah 53, here's our message to our families. Oh, but my loved ones, my children, my brothers and my sisters. Remember what the prophet Isaiah had to say. That this season is about Jesus. For he says in 53 verses 3 through 5. That he was despised and rejected by men. You see, our Jesus was a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. We didn't lift him up. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon us. And now, here's the finale. And to my dear family, I want you to know it is by his wounds that we are healed. That is the Jesus of Scripture. That is not Santa That is not the elf on the shelf. That is not Frosty the Snowman. That is my Savior, who is the wonderful Counselor, who is the mighty God, who is the everlasting Father, who is the Prince of Peace. And church, his name is Emmanuel. God with us. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that today in this church that you're with us and that your word stands true you said that you would bring a child that would save his people that would die for the sins of all mankind. So God, I want to thank you that as the prophet Isaiah said, that out of something dead would shoot up life. That a root would start to grow. And God, for those that are in this room that need to fall before you, at the foot of the cross, realizing that 
Maybe in their life they feel like they've just been chopped down and just afflicted. That they've been hurt. That they felt like walking away from the church, walking away from you. That this season might bring the season of hope and that this message would bring just a glimmer of hope that within us, Father, that in our dark place, that you would spring up a root of light and of life that would help us to run in victory. Thank you, God, for being with us, for us, and among us. You said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You didn't say for unto me, you said for unto you. And so, God, we claim it today, the word you that was meant for us. And God, if there's somebody in this room that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may, may they fall before you and ask that, they, that you would come into their heart and into their life. Lord, you said you will come back with a shout. The great trumpet shall sound and you will rapture us. May not one soul in this room be left behind because you gave us a sure promise. So God, stir within the laborer of your people. Free us today. Help us to walk in victory. To your holy name we pray. And all God's people.